Yeah, let's run the out of the ball, baby. They're wrestling, so are we. Punch them in the mouth. Raise your glasses to kicking everybody's ass. <laughs> What's going on, going on, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. I am, am Sinclair. With me is Jake Elrod, and today we're going to preview the Colts Week Week 15 matchup against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts travel to New Orleans on Monday Night Football. Primetime matchup against the Saints. Uh, Colts are coming in at six and seven, losers of four of their last six and three straight. The Saints just come off a low, a home loss to the San Francisco 49ers on their last second field goal, 48-46. They are now 10-3 and on the year. And they've clinched up their division, but they're still looking for a first-round buy in the NFC. Uh, and speaking of playoffs, for Indianapolis Colts, for the fans that are still hoping for the playoffs, this simple scenario for the Colts that they want to make the playoffs is through the winning division, and that means going 3-0. and in these game, in these next, in these last three games, and then the Texans and Titans play twice in the next three weeks. This week, week 15, and the week 17. So they have to split their series, and then the Texans must lose to Tampa Bay week 16. Um, they travel to Tampa Bay too, so that's going to be a tough game. And then the Tennessee Titans will play at home against the New Orleans Saints week 16. Colts will need them to lose too. Uh, so it's not completely out of the realm of possibility for the Colts to make to miss. To make the playoffs, but it's a pretty, uh, pretty long shot. It's only 2.7% chance. So, um, in other Colts news, Colts put, um, as we saw in the recap show last week, they put Paris Campbell on IR. Uh, Chester Rogers also recently got put on IR. So, the Colts signed Dontrell Emman, Jake, and just seems like we just like to bring Dontrell Emman back for the, for the final home stretch of our season's last couple of years. Yeah, and I, I mean, I just I, – I like bringing Dontre Lindman back as a player. He's a talented guy, good hands, good route runner, dependable veteran. I just feel like this move was made too late. It's just kind of odd to me. I mean, you talked about the playoff percentage, under 3% to make the playoffs. And I understand they probably just want a little bit of veteran stability on that side. But, you know, at this juncture in the season, I, I would prefer them to see what they could find, scour something on on players on other teams' free uh, practice kind of, practice squad players, look at the free agent market, see if they can bring in some young guys. They brought up Chad Williams from the practice squad. Um, you know, just see if you can find another future piece um, that you could build on in, in the in the offseason because I, I don't foresee Dontrell Inman getting a contract offer after this year. I know they gave him one after last year and he turned it down. But, I mean, with the way the wide receiving core is looking now, you have obviously T.Y. Hilton is your number one. You're going to have Paris Campbell. Marcus Johnson looks like he's injected himself into the mold, at least for, you know, deep in the training camp and preseason. Um, Zach Pascal's obviously done what he's going to do. And I think everyone expects the Colts to draft a wide receiver in at least the first three rounds. Now, I know a lot of people probably prefer that to be in the first with one of our two top 35 picks. But, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But there will be at least a wide receiver taken in the first three rounds. So, you know, that's five players right there. Um, that I, I feel like will definitely get a lot of looks from this team. So I, I don't really know if Inman has a path to on the on this team in the future. So I don't know. It was just weird timing for me. If this was a month ago, I would have loved it. 
I just think it was just weird to bring him back at this point when you're essentially eliminated from the playoffs. But, you know, it's nice to have a guy back there that that's dependable, gives a guy, uh, gives Jacoby a big catch radius, a guy that can make contested catches and uh, catch the catch the ball in traffic and, and good hands. So nice to see him back. Just wish it would have been earlier on in the season. Well, I think the reason why they brought back Eamon was, one, because he played last year under Reich's system, but he's also played with Reich and Sirianni in, uh, in Los Angeles when he was with the Chargers the first time. And so I think the familiarity uh, is the reason why they brought him back. Of course, they worked him out last week and didn't sign him to the extension. Uh, but, I mean, there's a slight possibility. We don't know yet. We're recording on Friday night. T.Y. Hilton has been a limited practice the first two days of practice. Of course, Colts started a day later since they're playing on Monday night. So um, do you even want T.Y. Hilton to dress in this game? Because, I mean, it just – it, it, Honestly, it just seems like there's real no point for T.Y. Hilton to play, and I know he said he's played. He's uh, he wants to be signed up for 16 games. He's going to play all 16. But at this point, do we just say, "Hey, T.Y., you missed too many games this year. We don't need need you missing more games for a somewhat meaning meaningless game uh, late this season." I mean, and let me just start off by saying I love T.Y. Hilton so, so much. He, he's just such an underrated player, even by our own fan base. He's incredibly tough. He's battled through a ton of things. And, you know, it's rare for a player at his position to take pride in his availability. But T.Y. Hilton takes pride in being out there for his team. And, you know, he said himself he signed up for 16 games. And even with the team, you know, essentially eliminated from the playoffs, he is still wanting to get back out there, pushing to get back out there. And that that takes just a ton of pride. That has to resonate greatly with the coaches, set a good tone for the locker room. I mean, so first and foremost, I just respect the hell out of T.Y., for wanting to push through it, wanting to be out there for his teammates, regardless of the record. And, and, you know, really putting himself second in the team first. He's just such an unbelievable representative for this team, for this franchise. And we're incredibly lucky to have him on this team. But, you know, personally, I, I would just shut him down. I mean, he's had extensive injuries the last two seasons, um, you know, played with the high ankle sprain last year and, and now having issues with the, with the legs again this year. I just, just listen, he's 30 years old. He's an undersized guy. We're going to need him for the long haul. And, and you know, with these lower leg injuries, even if they say there's not a, a, a chance to re-injure or, you know, exacerbate the current injury, if you're playing on a limited leg, you tend to favor the other leg or you tend to move weird or you have a hitch. And that can lead to other separate injuries. And so for me, with a guy that's 30 years old, that you're starting to see a little bit more of an injury problem with him, I would just recommend that he just sit out, get healthy, get rested for next year. He's fought through enough over the last couple of seasons. He tried to give it a go against Houston. And I, I just don't see him coming in and being the same T.Y. Hilton we expect to be out there. And I just don't really see the upside Outside of playoffs, you know, to the side, I just don't see the benefit of having him coming out there hobbled and risking something happening to him that could be a long-term issue. I mean, you know, you look at the Victor Oladipo knee injury. I mean, he had smaller other knee injuries, and, you know, he hasn't said it directly, but I think he's made references to the fact that some of those other smaller injuries may have contributed, you know, to a large injury. And, you know, you could see that with T.Y. Hilton if he tries to push through something like this. So, with the situation the way it is, I would just like for him to sit out, get rested, get healthy, and come back next year strong because regardless of whether it's Jacoby or someone else, we're going to need him next year. He's just such a, a key component to the offense. The record without him is obviously well-documented. So he he just needs to get rested, get healthy, and get back next year. Those are all some pretty good points, but we'll move on to the uh, 
We're not going to do keys to the game. We're just more just going to talk overall about the game because I think a lot of Colts fans, me and Jake really, we're not really, we don't want the Colts to win. We'd like them to win. But we're, we're clearly, we're pro-draft, so we're kind of wanting the Colts to lose these next three games to get a better draft position. I mean, heck, if the Colts win, I'm going to be happy. Uh, Jake, I don't know if you'll be happy if the Colts win or not, but I'm going to be rooting for a win. But I know the draft position gets a lot better if we lose on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, obviously, anytime we win, it's it's great. I mean, you know, every time I watch the team, I, I want to see them go out there, compete, play hard, win games. Um, you know, but at the same time, on the other side of that coin, you know, I'm looking towards the future and, you know, the difference between, you know, seven and nine or six and ten and, you know, nine and seven potentially is is huge. I mean, and, and especially with a team, you know, there's been talks, you know, kind of debates on Twitter about, you know, whether having those couple spots makes a difference. Well, when you're looking for a quarterback like this team is going to, it can make a big difference. I mean, the difference That's, between drafting. Yeah, one win, one win could, be a big, could be a difference between drafting 12th and 17th, and it's a big difference, especially this year's draft. Well, and when you're looking for a quarterback and if they see a blue-chip guy that they want, the, the odds of a team trading all the way back to 17 or, or 16 are, are a lot slimmer than trading back with a team that's 12th or 13th in the draft. So, you know, generally, I don't necessarily buy into the better draft position. If, if Andrew Luck was here, I wouldn't buy into it, um, you know, but it, with them looking for a quarterback, I think four or five spots in the draft does make a big difference in terms of being able to use their draft capital to be able to get a quarterback because ultimately I think that's what they're going to be looking for in the draft. So that's the biggest reason why I'm, you know, I, I'm kind of pro, you know, playing your younger guys and, and developing some guys that are out there and, and not necessarily tanking and not going out there and playing hard, but, you know, put some younger guys out there, see what you have on the lower end of the roster, you know, give some other guys some runs, protect some of your higher profile guys that have injury histories and, and, you know, just kind of look towards next season. And, and, you know, I totally understand and respect the other side of it. You know, the fans saying, Hey, all we have to do is win out and a split needs to happen. Listen, I, I understand it. I respect it. And I do not blame anybody for having that kind of, that kind of thought process. But for me, you know, nine and seven and getting whacked in the wild card round just isn't worth losing out on a potential franchise quarterback with, you know, with a five spot swing. So that's just where I stand on it. Everyone has their own position. I respect everybody's position on it, but that's just mine personally. So let's look at this game for the Colts going to New Orleans on Monday Night Football. And offensively for the Colts, the Saints are actually going to be pretty banged up on their defensive line. Uh, I guess the 49ers that actually lost Marcus Davenport and Sheldon Rankins their last couple of first-round picks. They lost those guys to um, to injuries, and they're done for the season. And Cameron Jordan has popped up on their injury report, and he could be out for this game on Monday night. He has thir- he leads their team in, with 13 and a half sacks. And if you look at the Saints and their and their stats, uh, they're they're second in the NFL or they're top five in the NFL in rush defense. But if you look at it a little bit more, teams only run the ball on them about 21, 22 times a game. And I think that's mostly due to the fact that teams are getting down to one or two possessions and having to throw on them so much. But if you look at their pass defense, it's about middle of the pack. So I think the Colts, if they can keep this within one a one-score game, not let that crowd get too much into it and kind of grind, grind and grit and grind it out, the Colts can very much keep this in te- this game close, and they might be able to lead on that running game like they did against Kansas City a couple couple weeks ago. Yeah, the the injury to Cam Jordan is just monstrous. It, it's the equivalent of Darius Leonard 
missing games for us. I mean, he's a tone setter on that team. For Justin Houston. Yeah, I mean, same thing. I mean, you know, just just guys that set the tone, um, you know, for the entire defense, regardless of their position. And, you know, an all-pro caliber player, great player, you know, probably an underrated player, honestly, in most league circles. But, you know, he, he's a huge part of what they do in the run game defensively. And, and you know, it could, like you said, it, that could change the game. I mean, the Colts, they're going to go into this trying to shorten the game regardless because they have the quarterback disadvantage. You know, they, they lack the explosive playmaking that the Saints do. Um, on a consistent level and, you know, on the road, hostile environment, they're going, it's going to be a similar type of, of game plan to what they did in Houston. Um, in my mind, it's going to be a run heavy type of thing. I, I know the past defensive stats, but, you know, I mean, Houston was missing five guys in their secondary and we still didn't want to throw it for anything. I mean, Reich was just completely keeping the ball out of Jacoby's hands. And, you know, I, I just see a similar type of situation where you have Drew Brees who, you know, Reich was gushing about all week. They obviously have a great amount of respect for what he can do. And um, I think they're going to try to keep the ball out of his hands. So, you know, to have that amount of injuries to those kinds of players on the defensive line is is going to be big. And, you know, the the offensive line, I mentioned it in the uh, <clears throat> the recap show, you know, that they haven't shown up the way they should against quality defensive uh, rushing teams. You know, they, they need to do better in this department. And in a game like this where, you know, you're missing – a guy like Jordan potentially and, and, you know, missing some other guys on that line. I mean, you, you've got to go out there and impose your will and prove your worth as a top five offensive line because, you know, they've had great games, you know, the rushing, their top five rushing team. So, you know, they're playing good football, but I mean, you can't go into every matchup against a top five rush defense and say, oh, well, we're going to lose this matchup. It seems I mean, very boom or bust with them sometimes. Yeah, and it's it's almost like last year. I mean, we you know rewind way back to the pre uh, to the season preview pod we did. You know, that was one thing I brought up was you know last year was it was very feast or famine. One week they would have 150 yards on seven carries, and then the next week it would be 70 yards on three carries. And that's something that had to you know kind of find its level and balance out. And it, it's been a little bit better, I think. I don't think there's really been that amount of extremes, but they still just from game to game are not very consistent and. You know, especially, like I said, when you make your money against playoff teams, it's easy for talented guys to whip on a 25th ranked run defense. That doesn't do anything for me. What does it for me is if, you know, like like last week, for example, if they would have went into Tampa Bay and imposed their will on the ground and been able to run the football the way well, they, they didn't even to. really try to. So that's the thing. No. They only ran the ball, what, 13 times with Marlon Mack? And, and I think that's by design. I mean, you know, because they, they couldn't get the run game going. I mean, they didn't have – I mean, there was there was also with the, the aspect of Tampa Bay was just passing all over us and putting up points like it's a Madden game. But, you know, at, at the same token, you know, we've seen right go down double digits and not give up on that run game. But it was just the fact that we weren't able to establish any sort of positive momentum in that department. So, you know, they, there's that aspect of it that you brought up. But also when you get the opportunities, you have to do something with it. And they didn't. And that's what forced them into making Jacoby pass a lot more. And so when you go up against quality run defenses like the one we're going to face on Monday night, you have to show up. You have to put Jacoby in good position. You have to quiet the crowd, try to shorten this game, keep the ball out of Breeze's hands. So, you know, those injuries are huge, and that matchup in general is huge. And the Kansas City game was, so, was such a great enjoyment to watch just because we were able to dominate them on both, en- both lines, on both ends, offense and defense. Really love to see that um, on Monday night against the Saints, and I think that uh, I think the trenches are probably going to be the biggest difference in the game because we'll talk about the defense here in a second. But 
I mean, if the Colts, if they're able to just keep that crowd quiet by pounding the ball and keeping the keeping a slow pace game and keeping the Saints' offense off the field and and just making sure it's staying within a one score game, they could very much pull off this upset. Up, pull off this upset. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the Saints struggle at home in December. I mean, you know, they did it last year. They kind of tailed off towards the end of the season at home. You know, this, this game isn't impossible, you know, the way they're playing. I think a lot of fans and you know, I'm down on them, to be honest. But, you know, they, there's there's still an opportunity to go win this game if they win the way they've been winning football games, which is running the football. And, you know, Jacoby hasn't done the greatest job converting the opportunities. But, you know, you still from week to week have to have the main, same mindset of, you have to run the ball because that opens up more in the passing game. And regardless of what the team is producing, you still have to put your team in those positions to be able to hit those plays when they come up. So, you know, regardless of, of what they've done in, in terms of being able to successfully convert the runs in the successful pass plays, you know, they still can't come out here and start stinking it up in the run game because then they're going to turn it into a one-dimensional game and, and you're going to end up with a hostile environment and, and Jacoby's going to be put in a real precarious position, uh, position you know, with a depleted uh, receiving core and, you know, on the road late in the season, you know, the team's confidence is kind of waning. And so I just, I think it would really behoove this team to really be able to come in here and establish the run game, get Marlon Mack one of his patented 150 and two touchdown games you know, that he has from time to time and, you know, really just try to establish themselves in that area. Because I agree with you. I think that's that's really a critical mental. Well, I'm actually looking at their, their games, their game totals this, this year. And all in all three of their losses against the Rams week two, they gave up 115 rushing yards. Week week 10 against the Atlanta Falcons, they probably their worst game of the season. They gave up 143 rushing yards to the Falcons. And then last week against the 49ers, who probably have one of the best running offenses in the NFL – gave up 162 rushing yards and they gave up 516 total which was the worst on the season so I think this run defense if you keep running the ball and don't get away from the running game like the Colts did last week they're going to be able to if they can stick with it they're going to find some holes in there in the third second and third quarter and like you said with Jacoby this team's got to be more consistent all around they've been outscored 31 to 0 in the last in the last three losses in the fourth quarter in all three of those games, they had leads in. So they've just got to be a lot more consistent overall uh, once they get into the fourth quarter. Yeah, and that'll be something that, that I'll be looking for is, you know, I think it's it's probably too late for this season for it to matter much in terms of, you know, playoffs or any, any kind of meaningful things. But, you know, going into next season, you know, if you can if you can take these last three games and start it with Monday night, if you can, if, because the Colts are in every game in the fourth quarter, I mean, they haven't been really blown out this season at all, you know, and, and I don't expect them to really be blown out in this game. I mean, they have too much pride, too much talent. Um, you know, I know the Saints are a very, very good team, one of the best teams we play all, all season. But, you know, even the really good teams we play, they, they haven't got us down in double digits. So I think the Colts are going to be in this in the fourth quarter. It's just can they turn that tide and start to build that momentum again as a team that, you know, can close out games, can finish drives, you know, that would give Jacoby Brissett a ton of confidence to be able to get that monkey off his back, to be able to get that stigma off his back of, you know, hey, this is a guy that can't finish. This is a guy that struggles in the fourth quarter and, and you know, really break away from that kind of, you know, stereotype that's, that's starting to follow him around now, um, you know, as the season progresses. So it's going to be a big, a big, big step in the right direction if they can convert and change that fortune of, of you know, like you said, 31 or nothing is just ridiculous. And that, that, that's not just on Jacoby whatsoever. That, that Frank Wright deserves blame for that. The defense 
giving up those leads, not being able to run the ball and be able to close out games the way the Colts want to do, you know, just all around. They just have to do better in terms of playing complementary football and closing out these games. And, you know, if they do that Monday night, it could be a very, very big step for them in trying to end the season on a positive note in that regard to where they're not going into the offseason, just feeling like a team that can't close out games. And, it, and we've been talking about circle games all year with Chicago Brissett, and you and me are basically off the Chicago Brissett bandwagon. And I'm not saying he could put me back on the bandwagon this on this uh, matchup, but he could very much, you know, give himself a buffer if he's able to come out and throw for 250 and complete 70% of his passes and throw two or three touchdowns and lead the Colts to a victory. That could very much help out his case if he wants to be the long-term answer. Uh, we'll have to see, of course, but... We'll move over to the defense now, and now I don't know where to start. The Saints probably have the most loaded offense that we're going to see all season. They've got Drew Brees as a Hall of Famer. Michael Thomas is an All-Pro. He's going to probably break uh, the receptions record, but held by Marvin Harrison, set at 143. Thomas is currently at 121, so he needs about seven per game. And I, I texted you. I think I texted you last week. I said Michael Thomas wakes up with 11 catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown. Seems like every week, and then. You've also got guys like Jared Cook, who was in concussion protocol right now, but he was in a non-con or he wasn't in the non-contact uh, jersey today in practice, so he should be available Monday night. But then you've also got Alvin Kamara, who hasn't really picked it up this year, but he, he was in a, a very good running back. You got Latavius Murray as well. You've got Ted Ginn who could take the, the top off the defense. So Jake, I'm gonna ask you the million-dollar question: How do you stop this? How do you stop this passing offense if you if you even can? Well, I mean, number one, you keep them off the field. I mean, this is it, number take two. You the, pray, right? Yeah, I mean, num, number one, you take them off the field. You keep them off the field. I mean, it's we're we're taking the same approach now the teams took when Peyton Manning was our quarterback. Um, you know, you hope you can run the football, sustain drives, wear down their defense to where you can sustain your own drives. Number two, you got to make them one dimensional. Um, you know, you can't allow them to, to run and pass because otherwise, you know, listen, you could have three all pros in your secondary, two all pro pass rushers. It doesn't matter with a guy like Drew Brees, with the amount of weapons, with the coach like, like Sean Payton, you allow them to get it going in both aspects of the game like that. They're going to, they're going to beat you. I mean, so that's the second thing is you have to make them one dimensional. Um, you know, you would like to be able to make it, you know, one dimensional to where they feel like they can run. You know, because that that takes the ball out of Breeze's hands. But you know, ultimately, if you can at least make them just pass or or feel like they're only having success through the passing game, because that's the one thing when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback is sometimes these coaches kind of can use them as a crutch if the game isn't going well or if they're not getting getting the success they want in both in both facets of the of the offense. They can kind of lean on those guys and use them as crutches, and that's where Matt Eberflus really shined because we've seen it against guys like Mahomes and Watson where two two very talented quarterbacks, two guys that are in the MVP discussion this year, but and two guys that you're going to see in January. But what Matt Eberflus did was he really did a great job dis disguising his own coverages, using his athletes to put pressure on the quarterback in the second level, whether that was the linebackers or Kenny Moore, which I doubt we see him this week, but hopefully we do. He's a big part of what we do in terms of that. Um, you know, but he does a great job really disguising his coverages when he gets teams in that position, when he feels, when he smells blood in the water, when he has a quarterback with talent, he feels, I feel like he has extra pressure on himself to go out and, and produce more complex game plans, to be able to mix and change things up more. And I think that's why this team has more success against playoff caliber quarterbacks, because 
you know, I, I think Eberflus does a better job of disguising and mixing his coverages. You have more zone and man concepts together in terms of it. You know, I think that when they watched Jameis Winston on film, it was like, okay, this is a guy that turns the ball over a lot. We're going to sit in zone and let him throw bad balls to us. And yeah, they had a couple, but when they were in those zones, he also shredded you apart when he wasn't making bad decisions. So they're not going to do that against Drew Brees. They're going to have to do a lot of different things to be able to confuse things, to disguise him, to throw him off of his rhythm. So, well, I you know, think those what you said, I think you texted me this after the after the game on Sunday that Eberflus is basically going to have to throw out his whole bag defensively to get to stop the Saints' offense. Yeah, I mean, this is this is, I mean, the Texans what we played. In, in Houston is extremely talented, but in terms of overall talent offensively, this is the most talented offensive team we're going to play this year. Um, you know, so like I, yeah, I'm doubling down on it. Matt Eberflus, you're going to see his best bag of tricks in this game. He's going to have to do it. I mean, you know, for us to have a chance to win and, you know, I mean, he's, he's going to be a guy that eventually wants to be a head coach. He's on time Monday night against Drew Brees and he has a chance to make a statement with his defense and you know to that point I actually hope that the Colts defense is actually as bad as it was last week because then coaches or teams are going to see that on prime time and they're going to be like nope we're not hiring this guy because I definitely don't want to lose Matty Bufloos yeah stay they can can stay away from him he's 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 an outstanding coach um you know fortunately I think with the Colts not making the playoffs I think that takes some of the um some of the allure from stealing our, our coordinators away from us. I mean, because honestly, the Colts have played better defensively this year than last year, but we're not going to be a playoff team most likely. So I think that takes some of the allure, you know, of our of our assistance away from other teams. I mean, I know it's weird. It shouldn't work that way, but ultimately that is how it works. That's how a lot of teams operate. You know, they, they like to pluck playoff uh, the assistance and Super Bowl assistance and, you know, higher. And that's why a lot of teams flounder in the league. But, you know, we do have that going for us, at least, you know, with us probably not making the playoffs. I think Eberflus is going to be safe, um, you know, but, but you know, getting back on point, I, I just think it's going to be a, a really interesting game to watch from the defensive side of the ball because he's really using more of those chess pieces like, you know, guys like Bobby Okariki and, you know, Malik Hooker has been playing in the box more. You know, he's been utilizing some of these other pieces to do different things recently. And I'm really interested to see what he does against Breeze in this offense because, you know, those those two those two things to me are the only way you're going to be able to keep this offense down is, is by keeping them off the field. And, and, and number two, making sure that you are, are very complex smartly. You don't want to, you know, overly blitz because it'll kill you, but, you know, be complex in a smart way. So Matt Eberflus does a great job kind of towing the line between aggressive and smart. You have to be able to tow that line against this quarterback. So those two things to me are, the, are really the only way. And, and, you know, obviously the team's done a great job forcing turnover. So that will be another thing also. Um, you know, so if they do those three things, they, they actually cancel this offense down. It's just, will they be able to do that? Especially with, like I said, Kenny Moore being such a vital part of this defense, probably going to be out this game. That's a big loss. And I hinted at that earlier, the trenches. This Colts off, this Colts defensive line could make a splash on on, on Monday night. On the injury report, they uh, the Saints have Teron Armstead, their left tackle, and Andrews Pete, uh, their left guard. They're both on the injury report. Uh, they could very much miss this game Monday night. Uh, but we all know Drew Brees. He's very methodical. He's very surgical. He, he's very good at getting the ball out of his hands super fast. Saints are giving up a sack about 4% of the time, which is fourth best in the NFL. Uh, but this, if, if, this, if this defense wants to get stops against the Saints offense, go look at the Falcons film. 
the Falcons or the Falcons got six sacks on the Saints um, a couple weeks ago when they only scored nine points. Three of them came from Gary Jarrett in the middle. So looking at guys like Danico Autry, maybe even Big Grover Stewart could end up getting another sack uh, mm. uh, on prime time. Uh, you you never know. It's just if the Colts want to make a big impact and slow down the Saints offense, I hope they're looking at a lot of that Falcons film from a couple weeks ago when they were able to disrupt them uh, from up the middle because that's where Drew Brees, you know, he's only six foot tall. So he's obviously he can't see over defenders real well. So if you're able to get pressure on him inside, um, then obviously you're going to throw off the timing from their passing offense. Yeah, and the defensive line is going to be something that we're going to touch on at the end of the season because it's been one of the most, you know, under-the-radar struggles of this team because the sack numbers haven't been awful. But, you know, when you talk about the fourth quarter leads evaporating, a lot of that starts with the defensive line not being able to put pressure on quarterbacks. And it's really just you know, and it's really just, just Houston getting sacks on people. No one else really. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And that was going to be my point is, you know, listen, Justin Houston's having a quality year, but, you know, he's not having a defensive player of the year type campaign. And with Does the, he have with a global year, though? That's a good question. I, I think – I think he, I think he'll get in. I mean, listen, you know, with with the with the alternates and things, so many guys drop out. I think he I think he's played well enough. I think he might get in off voting just from his name, and people see that he has what eight nine sacks so far this year. I mean, could I can be. very much see it. Could be he was he was in the top ten recently. Um, in the last the last news I had heard, he was in the top ten. So maybe he does get in outright. But I think you know certainly with the substitutions and alternates, I think he gets in. But you know, he's the only guy on the on the defensive line getting consistent pressure. I mean, with Kamoko Ture being out. Ever since he went down, that defensive line. Such a line, massive loss. Such a massive loss. I mean, and, and you know, I understand they don't want to – they can't – they really can't utilize Ben Banigou too much. You know, he's a he's a very raw player. He's talented. But, you know, outside of Ben Banigou on the edge, there's nobody complimenting Justin Houston. And, and Banigou doesn't get a ton of run at that spot. I mean, Jabal Sheard's leadership and edge setting and run stopping is very valuable to this team. So they don't exclusively put Banigou on that side. Um, because of that. So when you put in Taekwon Lewis has gotten some snaps there. Jabal Sheard has been very underwhelming as a pass rusher. You know, Danico Autry's numbers are way down. He's been one of the, you know, most shocking underperformers of the season in terms of his statistics. Um, you know, and obviously Grover Stewart doesn't offer really much there as a pass rusher. So, you know, that's been an under underrated struggle for this team since since this all started, you know, with the five and two start. We were getting more consistent pass rush, and a lot of that coincided with with Kamoko Ture being healthy. Um, you know, but regardless, you have who you have now, and the defensive line just overall as a unit has to do much much better this week because we know the blueprint for beating guys like Manning, Brady, Breeze, Rogers, anybody. It's getting pressure up the middle in their face, and we have to do a better job of doing that. I, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to do that again. Autry struggled. Uh, Grover Stewart's not much of a pass rusher. Do they maybe dust off uh, Marcus Hunt for some snaps this week? I know he hasn't played very well, but he's a huge body. You talked about Breeze's size. Um, so he, is he a guy that maybe gets some run at that spot? But, you know, they just have to do a better job overall in, in getting to the quarterback. I know Breeze gets rid of the ball quick, so it's a struggle. But, you know, if we can press their guys, make them hold it, then the defensive line has to take advantage of it. So that's going to be a huge, huge uh, key that I'm looking for on, on Monday night is can that defensive line turn it around? Because, I mean, you look at that Tampa Bay game, and we talked about a lot of things, and, and not a lot of people talked about the fact that we only had one sack on Jameis Winston, despite, despite the fact passing it. You know, I think it was, what, 45 times he passed the ball against that offensive line? That's, that's just unacceptable. 
only have one sack and 